Hello and welcome to the Now Spinning Magazine podcast with me, Phil Aston. And I'm absolutely delighted to have as my guest today, Steve Hackett, former Genesis guitarist and solo artist extraordinaire and just back um, or just finished this new album, Foxtrot at 50, with lots of Hackett highlights as well. One of my first questions, Steve, is I should ask you how you are to start with. <laughs> um, how are you doing? Because you've had, this yeah. was a massive a, a project, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm feeling pretty good. We're we're um, we're going to be taking that same project or that same album uh, to the states. They wow. haven't heard this revisit of that stuff yet, you know. So they won't have had Foxtrot in its entirety, at least not by me or members of the band. So um, I'm looking forward to uh, doing that in in a, just a few weeks. You've done a few of these Genesis revisited projects, and obviously yes. this is the latest yeah. one. Um, yeah. Was it always the plan to do them in this order, or was it? Well, no, it wasn't. No, originally I was cherry picking across the best of Genesis, and um, that gave me quite a you know a deal of, of freedom. But um, the idea inevitably came up of doing um, uh, a revisit of an entire album, uh, and. I think the first one we undertook was Selling England by the Pound, so uh, which was a year later from the, the Fox yes, Trot. Of course, and yeah. I also twinned it with um, giving people spectrum warnings as well, which was uh, an early favourite of solo stuff. So yeah. um, we gave them we gave them both on a on a, on a show, and um, then I believe we moved forward to. Um, Seconds out. If, yeah, I, if yeah. I got the chronology right, yeah. Seconds out is 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 um, is a compilation album and always was um, heading towards the late seventies of a summation of what the band yeah. was was capable of at, at that, that time. time. Yeah. Um, Foxtrot is is earlier, so I'm going back earlier. I'm 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 not trying to troll through the years and do every single album. Um, that doesn't really appeal, but uh, Foxtrot certainly appeals as an entire entity. Um, I think it's one of the two best albums. If, if if I was honest, I would say that the two best albums from the sort of classic Genesis period for me are Foxtrot and Selling England. Those two, I think, typify what the band was capable of at a time when it was basically a pre-video era if we did a video it was a kind of anomaly there might be the odd thing filmed in front of an audience in yeah in shepperton an invited audience but um um in the main yeah we, we we were yet to be we were yet to be filmed if you know what i mean we were all young guys but it was pretty faceless in a in a similar way i know that that, that was I remember reading something about pink floyd Pretty early on, I'm saying, you know, they were having massive hits albums, but each of them will be able to travel on a bus and not be recognised by anybody in Oxford Street. You know, that sort yeah. of, that that feeling. Um, so I guess it was the same for us. We were, we were faceless. The identity was all through the music. You could have looked like anything, and, and <laughs> we often did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess all the filming was done in the audience's head back then. I remember when I was listening to that yeah. al those albums, all the all the visuals were in my imagination. Um, yes, you know what the what the music meant to me. Um, I think 
that that's right and i think you know that comes from an era of of mid 1960s when music started getting very interesting with beatles and uh, at that time nobody said let's do a film of sergeant pepper although in- inevitably yeah. it happened later on but the color of it and the shape of it was on everyone's bedroom wall um, rather than on screen so it was reflected out into a wider social scene perhaps than um people pouring over smaller devices as indeed we are doing now <laughs> <laughs> indeed we are um in in the um on the dvd and one of the extras um you talk about your on-stage setup and you go through all the different effect pedals you've got and obviously you've got yeah. a very distinctive sound but the the stage setup you've got now must be very different to the one you had in 1972 even though you it's you've still got that sound what were you using back then can you remember what effects were available even back then? Well, yes, um, it was still pedals because of the of the um, the loud soft aspect of of what we now think of as progressive stuff. Um, so right, the shade. pedals were yeah. in those days. I, I had a couple of fuzz boxes, which I cherished dearly at the time. It was usually either a Marshall Super Fuzz or a, or a, a Color Sound. Color Sound, yeah. Uh, uh, the Macari stuff, and then there was um, a Shaftesbury Duo fuzz, which was rather thinner and with more upper harmonic in it. And sometimes I used to use those in series. Uh, two uh, two fuzz boxes used in unison. Oh, right. And it didn't produce a more fuzzy sound. What it produced was a more violin-like sound, and I used it extensively on, on Lambo's Down on Broadway, that sort of sound. I was using it on my first solo yeah. outing as well so when it, it, it was quite thin and piercing with a lot of upper harmonic in it but it was essentially a sounding miniature the the stuff that i recorded on foxtrot originally was on a tiny little amp of fender champ wow you know and i've got a feeling when i listen back to stuff like blow by blow with jeff beck and he's not here to confirm this or deny it but um i suspect it was a small amp being driven relatively hard but um, a Fender Champ was a little tiny thing, a little, we would think of it like a, a practice amp now, but I used it extensively. And um, provided you're feeding it with enough stuff, there's no reason why you shouldn't record with a little small practice amp. And um, with all the devices that are available these days, make it scream like hell and make it sound like you're shaking the walls of the city, but you're doing it in miniature. Indeed. Of course, back then, those things like colour sound fuzz boxes had those giant metal button on the front that went clunk when you when you turned it on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And usually big knobs as well. Yeah. Um, so Noisy pots, uh, yeah. Noisy pots, all of that, of course, yes, yes. You sound like you've been there yourself and uh, experienced the joys of um, yes. all those oh. things that need switch cleaner to make them Exactly. Exactly. Bring them in and and everything. Yeah. Also, back in 1972, when I was kind of reading like the Melody Maker and the Sound Readers polls, because that was very important back then. Bless bless you. Tail end of of, of hay fever. Sorry about that. That's okay. I've never sneezed on screen before, but there we are. Ah, He's off. Yes. Um, In the readers' polls, there was like, because these were important back then, there was like, there was Jimmy Page and Richie Blackmore and. David Gilmore and even Tony Iommi, yeah. but they were all very kind of blues-based. And over the other side of the yes. road, looking in, yeah. was yourself, Steve Howe and Robert yeah. Fripp, who were, had a more yeah. classical 
um, influence. Has classical yeah. music had, was that like a big influence on your playing style from the beginning? And it, and it still is today. Um, you know, when you think of the mar- the marvellous Rachmaninoff-like convolutions that keyboard players are capable of, um, you look at the guitar, the humble guitar, and you try and fool people in, into thinking it's a limitless instrument in terms of range. Yeah. And I'd be thinking about the nylon guitar here right now. Uh, but then, I, you see, I, what I was amazed about was hearing Segovia playing things that in the early days, um, those things that were recorded with precious little bottom and top, it could have been a keyboard. Uh, they, they they sounded, especially those Bach pieces, uh, the keyboard brain behind stuff that might have been written originally for violin or yeah, cello yeah. and transcribed for guitar um, seemed miraculous to me. And... Um, and they do really get the guitar ringing from bottom to top in the hands of a, of a good player on a good night. Um, so that that's always informed my, not just that acoustic playing, but if I want to search for harmonies, uh, it, it won't usually be with a, an electric guitar around my neck. I'll, I'll be playing single line in the main with electric. Right. And, yeah. Um, doing the equivalent of a burn up on a bike on it. But um, but if I'm looking for harmonies, um, I'll be using the nylon guitar. I'll be I'll be using that. So that's been a lifelong uh, passion for me. Um, and I suspect for Steve Howe too. Mm. Uh, and of course we worked together with GTR yes, of course, um, yes. briefly in the uh, in the 1980s. Um, yeah. Yeah. Robert of of course, was coming very much from left field with yeah, um, jazz ideas, and um, uh, I and I think it made for for an interesting collection of our respective bands. Yes, um, yeah, very unique each stuff. of you. Yeah, well, I, I think you you could tell that the, there was um, there was something outside. There was something outside blues going on. There's nothing yes. wrong with blues, absolutely no, no. or blues for its ability to be able to convey raw emotion. So I, I won't hear a word against blues, no matter what its detractors say. But um, mm. uh, in 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 the wider world outside, what blues are capable of doing, of course, you've got you've got these wonderful melodies that uh, exist in the world of of classical yeah. music. It tends to come together in the hands of or in the brain of of Rodrigo, who didn't play guitar, but wrote Concerto de Anguas first. You know, this famous piece yeah, for for orchestra and, and, and nylon guitar, popularized originally by Miles Davis doing a version of it for brass. Yes. Known as Sketches of Spain. Spain yeah. And uh he apparently popularized the thing. Um and now you'll hear it pretty much every day on a radio station or other. I remember I remember in, in the heyday of listening to a classic FM, I'm sure that I heard four different versions of Concerto Danowitz during a, one particular day because it seemed absolutely right for for what they were trying to do, with, you know, crossover market, all that sort of stuff. So uh, perhaps 
guitar was more salty for people to listen to, a little less dodgy than piano, although in piano can sound absolutely wonderful. Mm. Yeah. Um, but um, uh, the difference is that perhaps the lighter touch of, of the guitar is something that I guess it goes back to the idea of the romantic troubadour trying yeah. to win the affections of his chosen lady and and the, the sort yeah. of bleeding quality of of that. Um, so there's always been a romance, I think, attached to the okay. to the guitar. Whereas I think the the pianos had this solitary uh, feeling about it. By comparison, you think of, of Chopin and. Um, one gets the impression that his his main relationship was with his instrument rather than with any one particular person. So there was, it, it all seemed to get poured into it, which is why it's such emotional, beautiful music and Very still true. so influential today. Very true. When looking at Foxtrot, when you created the the music, the guitar parts back in 1972, you're obviously a lot younger and and you were influenced by different things going on around you in your life. And now, yeah. fifty years later, uh, you've you've kind of re-looked at it. Um, was it easy to stay close to the originals, or did you feel you were wanted to overlay new interpretations based on where you are now in your life? Well, I think that uh, as long as with our band we manage to do authentic versions, uh, we can stray away from the plot just slightly uh, and add things like extra extra woodwind or brass uh, to give it a wider palette. And sometimes I've, I've worked with the occasional orchestra with this stuff um, in order to widen it because I think that comes back to this thing you're saying about classical music, that in spirit a lot of it was classical. Um, uh, you can hear that in the playing of Tony yeah. Banks straight away, you know, you, you, you know that uh, uh, certainly with that 1970s stuff, you know, you're listening to a classical musician operating perhaps within, I won't say the confines of rock, I would say um, operating equally fluently perhaps, um, uh, you know, with that great sense of harmonic adventure that he that he had. Yeah. Between that with other people who don't often get a mention these days, thinking of Matthew Fisher with, uh, Procol Harum. Yeah, yeah, great player. The stuff that was obviously Bach influenced and more uh, with that, with the extraordinary efforts of that that early that early band that I think had an influence on Genesis. Um, uh, so yeah, there, there was a rich seam to draw from, uh, even within British music, without without even looking across the water anywhere. One of the most epic tracks, obviously, Supper's Ready. And um, it's, yeah. a, it's been a firm favourite for, for fans for many, many years. And uh, your yep. guitar solo in the second part of, of the, the new Blu-ray is absolutely emotionally, technically stunning. It's just beautiful. Do you, do you, when you look at that piece of music now, is it like... Um, it's like is it like a almost a living oral painting that you're always adding like new brushstrokes to each time you approach it? It's a nice way of describing it, an, an oral painting, because my my dad was was a painter, and um, I wasn't really moved to pick up the brush, but whenever I I do a, a tune, particularly like one that I 
dedicated to him was because he used to sell his paintings along along the railings, Hyde Park, London's Hyde Park, um, around about Lancaster Gate. So every Sunday he'd be up there uh, um, selling his wares. And yeah. um, I did a I did a song called Serpentine Song, which was all about the lake um, in the middle. And um, I'd seen it in so many seasons going round, and I remember he took me around it when I was a kid, and he showed me the Peter Pan statue, and his name was Peter as well. So I think of it as a bit like a, a tale of two Peters. But for me, it's my version of trying to paint that or um, an oral painting or a film for the ear in a yeah, way. That's a nice term. Um, if, yeah. a, a, a fluid, a fluid idea of as you were saying earlier, with all the images that you had from music were, were all in your head, and I suspect in the in the head of, of um, other listeners at that time where you were um, less subject to um, video preconceptions. Um, there certainly wasn't a Beyonce doing the equivalent of a perfume ad Every time she's singing a song and jiggling no, her no, gorgeous true. hips, um, but uh, music tended to have a different function, and it's a bit like reading a book in a way. If it works for you, the images are are implicit in the text. Um, so it was a different time, but but music was was riding highs, you know, and, and yeah, at know. the center of our lives then, and I suspect now. I know what you mean because it's. The track Los Endos, which is also on the DVD, um, yeah. that that song, that piece of music to me, but based on what you were just saying, I remember I was working in a factory in Birmingham and I, I hated it. Um, and I used to play that piece of music when I got home. And mm. there's a bit as it moves up towards, I had this visualisation of it, it was like it was, I was climbing up to a top of a hill and as it yes. got to that climax of it, I, I, I went over and I could see the sea and the horizon. And in my mind's eye, that's what I felt when the music played. And even as I'm saying this, yes. I've got shivers down, down my spine because it means yeah. that much to me. And and it's and it's kind of like the the, the music, even though um, I was the same person, uh, I was feeling the same, I'd come home from work, but playing that music took me, changed the way I, I was feeling. So I've always felt that, and looking into the audience on on the DVD, you can see all these people of all different ages. Um, a lot of people have grown yeah. up with the music, and you can obviously see tears in their eyes as they're kind of, you know, it's 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 really touching them on a really deep level. Um, it's and I also felt feel like the audience now, back then when you were like playing Foxtrot the first time around, the audience were younger. Everything was like probably a lot of people in the audience had never known loss or anything like that because everybody. Yes. But now we're older. We all have experienced yes. things like that. Well, and I think the music course. touches us on a very <clears throat> deep level, almost healing, in fact. Well, I think that is the, 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 the power of, of, of music and, and the subtext is, is healing. Um, people wouldn't go to watch music if they weren't there to be re-energised by it. And um, healing is, is all part of it. It's, it's, it's powerful medicine. Um, when you read the stuff that Oliver Sacks wrote about um, the extraordinary illnesses that he'd encountered as a psychiatrist and um, all of those things that were on the you know the outer reaches of what of what what the brain was able to do to people, whether it was to put them to sleep for decades or whether it was 
dealing with people who were literally frozen and couldn't move. Um, all of that, that sort of Parkinson's aspect, uh, it, it's something, um, I believe it's called echinesia, when you literally cannot move and you're absolutely frozen. And um, I know that my father experienced this sometimes um, because he suffered from this in, 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 in later life. But uh, it was something that, that, that Sachs was saying, um, that one woman um, could only move once she heard music that moved her emotionally. So this seems like a, a precursor to movement. And then, uh, so it was very powerful medicine for her, literally. So the idea of music as as medicine is, is absolutely true. So music might be magic for some of us, for others, it's it's medicine it goes it goes deeper um and uh so i i i i think of this you know this correlation between healing and, and music and 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 it's something that's taking up more and more of my interest in life as i go on as you say you experience loss you experience illness either yourself or others um and the power of healing I think that, that that music's absolutely central to it. It's 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 one option. Um, uh, yeah, I think it. I think it as as we. If you're interested in music in the arts, and I think as you go through yeah. life, you kind of you become more sensitive to to those kind of uh, energies of healing, if you like. And I think you're more open to because I think you can go through life and just shut down if you if you experience loss, you just shut down and think I'm not yes. going to have that again. That's but right. You can't experience yes. love without loss and i think with music yes. it keeps you it keeps your heart open and i sense that playing playing this everybody watching this and listening you must you must get a copy um there is elements of that in the in the performance the music where you can see it in the eyes of the people watching and for me just watching at home the music just even though you're as we're talking about visuals you're on this you're on my big telly <laughs> but you're also you're also creating something that's resonating on a totally different level it's just fantastic concert well yeah i'm, I'm glad you like the concert i i i uh i was very proud of it i i love playing this this music again it's um i think as an album it's um probably got the widest influences of just about anything i've i've ever heard um when you consider that the first track is um, you're talking about this film for the ear stuff that is Water yeah. of the Skies, uh, where it conjures all sorts of stuff uh, spaceships, landings, crescendos, uh, the drama of that, uh, uncountable time signatures, all of that, you know, the whole sort of alien language of that. Um, so you've got from sci fi to the influence of early music with um, Horizons where you've got the influence of Bach, but the brevity from um, further back with the music of, of William Byrd. <clears throat> yeah, the yeah. Earl of Salisbury, a little piece that's one minute, um, one minute, 30 seconds. And I devised Horizons to be precisely that, just the idea, yeah, all we need is 90 seconds here. So you've got the influence of early music and, and science fiction. So 
we've got the extremes there, I think, of, of what, what the band between us or what we were, what we were capable of doing and, and writing together. So, um, and then there's social comment too, there's humour, there's all sorts of stuff. And um, John Lennon very kindly said at one point that he considered us to be true sons of the Beatles. So yeah, there's an interview yeah. with this on um, that I've, I've been told about by... Um, by a friend or two, and um, I'm very proud of that. That uh, you know, if, if you think about the, the breadth of the Beatles stuff, yeah, I mean, their audience, the catchment was from three years old to yeah. eighty, yeah, and very, and and, yeah. and and beyond, I suspect. And uh, that's amazing when you think of those you know, the traditions that they were drawing from, not just rock and roll, but vaudeville, classical music, if you include. Obviously, you know, the work of George Martin, his stellar work with them. Um, you've got so much. You've got the the whole of music to draw to draw from. You know, it's the Laughing Policeman meets Gracie Fields meets Chuck Berry yeah. and on. Well, you've got, I mean, you're talking about all that. I mean, you're, since the, uh, what's the album, Out of the Tunnel's Mouth, which I saw you live yeah. in Falmouth in Cornwall, which is where I live. Um, yeah. and, and since that point, um, I know you're coming out of a darker period of your life, but all the albums since then have literally one after the other have just been like a progression and really like a purple patch of great albums. But it's, it's, they're like classical, there's flamenco, there's world music, there's rock. There's you, you, you seem to just pull in so many different styles. Um, where, where, where does that come from? Is that something from Joe's, Joe's lyrics or where you travel to or? Oh. Well, Jo's my wife. Uh, indeed, she does suggest things from time to time. Uh, uh, there's been the occasional travelogue, um, and some of the places that we couldn't travel to in lockdown, we we, we did an album called. Yeah. Um, um, trying to remember it now. <laughs> I've forgotten the name of it. <laughs> Something about under a Mediterranean sky. That yeah, was that's, and, that's uh, the fantastic. Idea, she, she, yeah, um, she knew that I wanted an acoustic album. She said. Um, you'll probably just do something that sounds a little bit baroque, but what if you widen it and use world music influences and describe a number of countries surrounding the Mediterranean? And I thought that was an, an irresistible invitation to something that um, I had to really stretch my imagination to do it. So occasionally she'll throw me a, a, a line like that. Sometimes it'll be a curveball and I'll be thinking, my God, how do I bring this one uh, 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 to life? It Such probably comes Nat together Natalia. later on. Yeah, yeah. yeah we, 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 we did a Russian one, which was just before the, um, the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine yeah. and um, all about Russian suppression. And we had the lyric maybe a good six months before I thought, how do I how do I bring this to life? So I was thinking of if we could do something which was like cross between Prokofiev meets Tchaikovsky meets Stravinsky and a bit of rock, then we've maybe got a way of doing it. A very filmic, very sumptuous orchestral um, approach to it. Um, it's something that Roger said to me about about you know about film music. He said, well, it's often orchestra plus. It's yes, it's sound effects, it's orchestra, but it's plus. It's 
yes. so many other things. And so we stretched the, the credibility to include uh, rock instruments as well. But I suspect bands have been trying to do this thing for quite some time, possibly yeah. ever since the Shadows did Wonderful Land. And suddenly there they were, no longer... But you're, um, a you're group with a few guitars, but there's you're, an you're, in, you're in this wonderful position though, where you can basically do whatever you like, and people are just open to watch it, your adventures musically, wherever you take them. Um, I remember going when I saw you on the Out of the Tunnels too. I took my uh, my son who'd never seen you before, and I remember thinking as you going through the set, I thought I had no idea how heavy metal you could be. <laughs> right yes because you, yes, your guitar playing sometimes the way you use a tremolo arm and it's like it's savage and then as gentle as a yeah. feather floating across a pond <laughs> ah well yeah i've probably become more savage in my in my dotage i think um the older i get um there was this thing about blues you you, you were talking about um, yeah. or or perhaps i've imagined this but but blues I, I wanted to be a blues guitarist ever since I heard John Mayall with Eric Clapton yeah. and the Yardbirds with um, with Jeff Beck and Peter Green and all the people that I used to go and see in clubs with my tongue hanging out thinking, these guys are doing exactly what I want to be able to do. And then I noticed that by the time that I'd become professional, I was having conversations with people who were saying, you mean the blues boom died on you too? And um, and then we started doing something else. Um, what we think of as progressive now, it wasn't that. We were thinking that, yeah, we'll, we'll try and come up with some original music. Uh, we weren't thinking it's got to have a, a hammered organ and a mellotron in order to be authentic yeah, and prog. Yeah. Um, we weren't thinking like that. We were thinking, well, yeah, we can do something um, which is getting on for half an hour long in the case of Supper's Ready. Or we can have a little single like I Know What I Like um, and they can practically coexist on the same album. So I think I think that's the beauty of, of, um, of music, that if, if, a, if an audience is prepared to accept it, um, you can give them a wide range of, of ideas and have a number of of writers in in the same band. I mean, last night Joe and I went to see Big Big Train uh, yeah, in great London. Band. Yeah, and uh, very very interesting, a hugely dedicated audience. And I've seen this in re recent years with mates that I've I've worked with, um, such as the Marillion guys. And again, there's that sense of of the audience being very very loyal and them. Um, living every note you can tell how important it is uh for people and i think you know that's that's a great thing that isn't going to go away it, it, it operates outside fashion uh i also think the the audience understands the music so much more uh, i think the music has become more timeless because even at the time even if i think about myself i was listening to slade and t-rex and you know three three minute little tunes and then yes. behind the scenes, Foxtrot was coming out, but it was quite yes. complex and and almost inaccessible in places. But now, yes, without the, it, I've listened to more classical music and jazz. Yeah. I've, yeah. The entry point is so much easier. Yes. I'm realizing I'm, we're running out of time, but um, I just, so but th thank you very much. So the the next, thank you very much. 
the the next stage you're going to the USA. Um, yes, indeed. Yeah. So, and then I guess one one last question I'd like to to ask. Um, obviously, yep. you, your last studio album is fantastic. You haven't really had a chance to tour that, or or even do some of the most the great tracks that have come up through your, the last few albums. Is that something yes. you might do beyond the the USA tour? Yeah, I think um, we we've been talking about this a lot, um, and um, been working on a, on, a, on a new album. And um, uh, there have been so many shows, of course, that that um, the priority is usually living out of the suitcase. And um, I'm I'm working on paper a lot, a lot of the time. Ideas, I think. Well, this might be a good one for the future. Let's see if it works on paper, then. There's a chance it might work with the band or with uh, another collection of musicians, uh, but the adventure has to continue in in some way. I was just thinking the other day, you know, about about Brian Jones, who was amazingly capable and was about to, I believe, work with Moroccan mm-hmm. musicians just before his untimely departure. And uh, yeah, where would that have gone? Would that have been? Um, you know, would would that have been painted black to the power of pie? Because that's <laughs> a very interesting yeah. area. All of that, you know, the east meets west. Mm, yeah, guitar meets sitar meets the tar. Um, yeah, there are so many things from from that from that family. Um, uh, and so, you know, I, I I work with those things. I've been using a mandolin recently uh, for the first time, and that's been interesting uh, a peruvian tarango um all these things over the years i've got but i i can't use everything on every album but then there's no been, no uh vietnamese instrument the, the dine shine which is like the, the koto from the koto family uh great great stuff all these things that, that stringed instruments are, are are capable of uh, plus a little bit of um middle eastern oud and fretless lute um uh luckily if you play guitar you can figure out a few moves on these things and um they're very beautiful and all, all very very different yeah well thank you very thank you very much steve again for all of your time and uh, best wishes to you joe and the rest of the band and good thank luck with the much. tour and oh, the best place for people to come to is hackitsongs.com to find out what you're up to isn't it that's right yeah that will give everyone you know the the up to date stuff and um Foxtrot will be out in a matter of days. So uh, thank you very much, Phil. Nice no problem to at you. all. No, to, hopefully I'll catch up again. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. A huge thank you to my guest, Steve Hackett, for his time today and sharing his thoughts on the new Foxtrot at 50 2CD Blu-ray album, which you need to make sure you've got. Absolutely superb. I've also reviewed it for the website and on the YouTube channel. That's out there already. So make sure you look at that. But it is well worth buying, listening and watching. It really, really is. So thank you again, Steve, for your time today. It's been absolutely fantastic. Check out the Now Spinning Magazine website at nowspinning.co.uk. Check us out on YouTube. Become a member. Subscribe. Ring that little bell. Join us on the private Facebook group. And I'll see you on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, wherever you think we are. The Now Spinning multiverse is there with you. So thank you again. Remember, music is the healer and the doctor. Take care, everybody. Keep spinning those discs. And I shall see you very, very soon.